everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, Episode 10, Audio Interfaces, recorded April 22nd, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. This week, we're going to take a wild walk through the wonderful world of digital to analog and analog to digital interfaces, a topic I know almost nothing about. So it will be incumbent upon the other two hosts of the show to inform me, educate me, and otherwise edify me. And those two hosts are Mr. Steve Cherubino of HowToPodcast.biz. Hey, Steve. Hello, Mark. Hey, James. What's going up, guys? Or going on? Going going up. What's going up? The price of gasoline. (laughs) And Mr. James Messer, known as The Professor at ProfessorMesser.com. Hi, James. Howdy, howdy. Good evening. Hello. Greetings, humans of Earth. So do you guys have anything interesting or exciting going on in your week this week? Yes. Do tell. Do tell. <laughs> okay, remember last week you guys were, were busting on me a bit for, what? <laughs> for, for getting an iPad at Walmart because it was the only place open at 10 o'clock at night? Yes, I the, the impulse buy, yes. The Me? impulse buy, yeah. And the, the question was, do I keep a white iPad for fear of possible femininity or do I exchange <laughs> it for a black one? And um, <clears throat> I actually took James' advice on this. And um, you are, I decided, no I made a, a I w- held it for two summer. days. I looked at videos online, uh, looking at white iPads and seeing how many men were holding it and <laughs> Googling, Googling men with white iPads and all the whole thing. And I decided to go ahead and get black. <laughs> That's peer pressure of a whole different color right there. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't have much going on this week. So that was my, my major dilemma. <laughs> and anyway, so I just, once I made the decision, I, I didn't even open the white. I was still in the wrapping. Uh, so I, I made the decision to get the black iPad and I, I started going to Walmart. So I looked online. None of them had the 16 gig black I, new iPad in stock. That's because all the men had already bought them. It's true. It's true. So there was one that was about half an hour away and I went there about 4 a.m. One nice. night. Get it. I got there. They didn't have it. The, the site was wrong. The website was wrong. So I was about to just give up. and I didn't know what I was going to do. And the next day, I, I just went to a Walmart that said out of stock. It was online. It said out of stock. We do not have any more black iPads. I went in there and I said, I'm getting a black iPad. I don't care. And um, they had one left. So this, is a, this should have been a lesson I learned. Do not trust inventory um, listings on websites Indeed. for stores. Hard they to believe. have it in stock. So I got my black iPad. I'm very happy about it. So you have actually opened the black iPad. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I've been using it, opened it. It's nice. Do you feel it enhanced your masculinity? Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. I look at it. I, when I got it, I took it into my car and I kissed it. That's how happy I was. Wow. Show Not, it to us in the pink carrier that you got with it. Show it. Yeah, hold it up. <laughs> well, that's the only color they had left at Walmart was pink covers. It's nice. Well, it's Delicate. because you were there at 4.30 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, actually, I was looking at covers tonight. Pink is $39. Black is $69. <laughs> That's oh, awesome. We'll That's Same knowing your market right there. Mm-hmm. That is. That is. Uh, my week, uh, I was actually James this week. I traveled all week, which is what what we always hear from him. I was traveling this week. I was traveling this week. I was traveling this week. I had uh, three days of meetings and a day either way to get to those three days of meetings. So, um 
my uh, my comment for uh, the the warm up this week is traffic sucks. I drove from uh, north of Dallas to Austin, which is about five hours ordinarily. So it took me about five hours to get down there. A little 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 more depending on traffic. It took me almost nine hours to get back. Whoa! Three of those hours took uh, uh, were spent traveling less than three miles. I was going less oh. than one mile per hour. And wow. why was I going less than one mile per hour? Yes, because they that? were replacing a sign on the, over oh. the interstate. What? So in order oh. to replace said sign, they shut down six lanes <laughs> of the interstate where two major interstates, meet, Interstate 20 and Interstate 635, where they meet, they needed to replace that sign. So on a busy Saturday afternoon, they closed it all down oh so that they could God. replace the sign. I was sitting there. I literally didn't touch the accelerator. I, I had my car, my truck in neutral. When I needed to inch forward, I'd drop it down into drive just to give a little boost and then pop it back up to neutral. It did move forward a little bit because I didn't want to sit there the whole time with my foot on the brake. And I just was watching my gas gauge move from right to left as I idled away, air conditioning myself for th- almost three full hours to go right at three miles. Oh, what did uh, the sign say? <laughs> the sign said interstate 635 that's what the sign said you need to know that yes in those situations don't you just feel the minutes of your life just slipping away it was it wasting was away yes uh and and yeah jim asked the question did you cap, catch up on podcasting i have no unlistened podcast now i got through all of them on on the driving Good. up there and back uh, so yeah, it was, I had just, the ironic irony is I had just called my wife and said, well, you know, it's, it's been pretty smooth sailing. I'll probably be home in about an hour. <laughs> and then an hour later, when I should have been home, I sent her a text saying, I have gone exactly one quarter mile from the last time I told you I'd be home. Oh man, that's pain. I yeah. feel you. Yeah. And then, of course, you you see this great microcosm of humanity while you're doing that. You know, there's the uh, they're shutting down lanes one by one, right? So there's two left lanes open, and there's always this idiot flying by, going, "Ha, you fools! Look at this! These lanes are open. Why are you just sitting there?" And they're just flying past, and then suddenly they stop, and then you pass them with their blinker, going, "Please let me in the line. Please let me in the line." Yeah, I don't like the people that let them in the line. Right? They just they just give in way too easy. These people. Yeah, and then um, at one point, there, there was a guy who was trying to nudge in, and, and I'm not one to use coarse language, but I shouted, expletive, no, you are not getting in. And so I rode up, and I was like almost touching the bumper of the car in front of me just to stop that one car from getting in. Yeah. He'd made, and then there was the guys who were like driving down the median, you know, because they were better than everybody. They were just bouncing along uh, in the grass, um, and I saw no less than seven police cars that just had those guys pulled over in a line nice. riding them up, you know. Nice. That's good. Yeah, so it, it made me feel marginally better. Not much could right. have made me feel better then, but uh, marginally. I could see that. That sucks. I'm glad you made it home, though. I did. I made it home. Um, and once, it was amazing. Once At one point, I got up to like 30 miles an hour and it felt like I was flying. It's like, I've never <laughs> driven this fast in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. Okay, so that's my traffic. I know there are people in the world who do that every day. Fortunately, I live in a rural area where my biggest tra- traffic jam is two tractors and a cow. Well, that's good. Next best thing is working from home. Right. Okay. James, you got anything? I traveled. I, I got on a plane and I went to sleep. 
Okay. Exciting, James. That's it. That's the story. That's nice. Nobody, yep. no, no, no pilots were going crazy and yelling about Al Qaeda on your flight. Maybe. Maybe you wouldn't they know. were. Have no idea. Do you wear noise canceling headphones when you're on a plane? No, I just put in. Uh, I put in kind of like the earphones that I'm I'm wearing now, which nobody listening can see, but they're in the ear type headphones. I got foam connectors on them, so they go right in the ear and they expand. And I just leave them in the whole time, and I go to sleep. And you and listen to our show, and it puts you right out. Well, of course, I can't listen to anything because uh, you can't have anything on. I I fall asleep before we leave the gate, so. <laughs> I, I have to, I put them in and then I just drape the cord over my neck, not plugged into anything, turn my phone off, put it in there. And uh, I've, I've woken up when we landed like three hours behind. And I have to ask people, why are we three hours behind? And they tell me the story of what happened and the crazy pilot and the person who opened the door and slid down, grabbed a beer. And I'm, I'm just sleeping. Wow. You're lucky, James. I can't sleep like that on a plane. I'm just tired. I'm not really lucky. <laughs> Well, that's because you were up at 4.30 a.m. buying it. No, that was the other guy. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what else am I going to do at 4.30 when I can't sleep? Well, it's, we point. do this show relatively late at night. And so I, every week I'll apologize. You know, sorry, guys. I know it went long. Thanks for staying up late. And they're both like, ah, I'm up for another three or four hours. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, it's like right. you're up for three. I got to be up in three hours. That's my life. <laughs> okay. So moving right along to uh, audio interfaces. And uh, this is one that was near and dear to Steve's heart. He wanted to do this show. So I'm pretty much just going to let him take the lead on that. And I will sit back and enjoy a frosty beverage. Uh, so uh, Steve, just take us first off, what is an audio interface? Well, an audio interface is the device or box that basically takes sound from the physical world from your mouth from any sound source through a mic um, and it captures that sound and it translates it from uh, analog to digital and then sends it to your computer via USB or firewire so it's the box that you know allows your computer to uh, receive the sound and it's also the box that will play back the sound if you want it to do that too so it's a it's basically almost like an external sound card are and all audio interfaces two-way yeah, I think just about all of them are, yes. So you basically replace your sound card with one. Um, you don't have to use it just for input. In fact, it's it's wise if you buy an audio interface to use it as your sound card because you're just going to get great quality when you when you listen, just listen to music or listen to anything on your computer rather than using your internal stuff. So that's what an audio interface is. And for podcasting, this is the, the box we plug our mics into, basically. I remember is. back in the way early days when I got my first 16-bit sound card. Prior to that, they were 8-bit. And um, the the range of motion, the range of audio that you could get out of a 16, it was like there was actual treble and bass. And it, it actually, it sounded like real music. It was, <laughs> it was revolutionary when that happened. Was it Sound Blaster? Yes, it was the, the one of the early Sound Blasters. Yeah, they were like dominant back then. Yeah, so it's that's basically what it is. I mean, it, the funny thing is, sound cards can be internal too. Our, our audio interfaces can be internal too. In fact, m your motherboard, most motherboards have built-in audio interfaces. They can do the job of converting analog to digital through uh, the the blue. It's usually the blue port on your motherboards, the line input or a port, the line in port. You can 
import sound into that and their computer can record it digitally. That's what it's for. So it's basically an audio interface. And then your green port on the back of your computer is your output and that goes to your speakers. Audio interfaces have them too. So most motherboards have audio interfaces built in, but there's, it's so cheap, uh, not great quality. Some, some of them are better than others. But um, they're all eighth-inch jacks. They're real small jacks. You don't get you don't get to use the quality cables that you might want to use for other things. And so, uh, I recommend if you're doing podcasting, look at audio interfaces at like your local music store or online, and um, we'll be talking about them during this episode. Well, that that's the thing to me that's probably the most daunting part of audio interfaces with computers for the people that are watching the live stream. I have uh, the Sweetwater um, catalog, the latest Pro Gear catalog that they have, and they list out a very nice audio hardware interface comparison guide that describes FireWire interfaces, USB interfaces, and interfaces that would go directly into a card that's in your computer. There must be a hundred of them in this list. And when you start diving into, they must have, I don't know, 20 different columns across this of all of the different features associated with them it can be confusing sometimes to figure out which one of these is best for what i'm doing and is there yeah. actually a difference is the real question or is there is there a, a distinction without a difference oh there's definitely a difference oh yeah um because i've i love the audio interfaces they're neat the neatest little toys for me i love testing different ones and buying them selling them and using them and i love just basically seeing which one has better quality than the other. And they, I've noticed in the ones that I've bought, there's huge differences in the quality. Now, the quality could be different parts of it. One might be better at recording a microphone where the other one might be better at outputting good audio quality. There's different, there's different parts that make up an audio interface. Um, but let's start with basically the job of converting analog to digital. So this is the job of taking what's ever coming through your mic and converting it to a digital signal. The device in an audio interface that does this is called a converter. It's very simple. Analog to digital converter. Or you might see it on the box or in specs AD converter. That stands for analog to digital. And some companies make great converters. They put a lot of time, effort hardware, um, materials into making good converters, like technology. Other companies don't focus on it too much. They make cheap boxes. And the bottom line is, you know, 10, 15 years ago, companies that there was, there were companies that made, uh, sound cards and, or let, let's just put it this way. Let's just put it this way. Most sound cards you buy now, even the cheap ones, or aud most audio interfaces you buy now, even the cheap ones are capable of perfectly good quality for podcasting. So anything you want to do above that, you're going to spend extra money and you're going to get that little piece above that. You're going to get the little extra uh, quality, that little extra sparkle in your sound that you might want to be, you might want to get. And so that's what you're looking for. But most cheap audio interfaces these days are perfectly capable of, of good podcasting. And that's that's the job of the converters to convert analog to digital. And and now, let's make a distinction there between um, uh, podcasting is one of those areas where you can get away with lower end stuff than if you're doing full on digital recording or studio mixing that sort of stuff because uh, you're typically doing one or two voices, not a wide range of sounds. So uh, in a podcasting environment, you don't have to necessarily go all out for the really expensive stuff. Um, you can buy you know, less expensive, more consumer grade stuff. And it'll sound just fine for one or two human voices. 
Exactly. That's where I sort of get into the point where I'm trying to figure out what the next step is for me because I'm one of the guys that does have the lower end audio USB interface. I use a Griffin iMic to to do that from Griffin Technology. It's $40 retail. You can probably get it for for much less than that, but that gives you one input and one output and it's over 8th inch jack connectors. So if I want to have more than one input into my computer that I can then control, I'm going to have to move up to something else that has more capabilities. And of course, then I've got to figure, is that going to be USB? Is it going to be FireWire? What is that interface going to be? That's where you get into the nuances of trying to figure out what's the next step. How do you go above that basic podcaster piece? Yeah. I mean, when, you, when you're looking for up, like at what you want to upgrade to, like in James's case, I would recommend if, if James knows that he's not going to have ever five people in the studio and he, he's not going to need five separate inputs on a big old audio interface box, he's perfectly fine having one input, then he can focus on a one input audio interface with high quality converters. He could put his money in the, the actual conversion process and uh, spend the money for good converters. Uh, companies that make boxes with, with great converters and are known for great converters, especially on Mac, is a company called Apogee. The Apogee Duet, and now they have the Duet 2, mm -hmm. is like a very standard audio interface for people using Apple's, uh, mainly using the program Logic, who want to do music and audio recording and have great converters. It's it's almost great. It's it's for a home studio, basically, but even pro studios use it, I think, on occasion. and um, it's, it only has two inputs though. That's the thing. It doesn't have 20. Um, you can't plug 20 things in it. You can only plug in two. So if you know, one of the things when you're looking for an audio interface is if you know how many people are going to be being input into the box, then you could kind of narrow down your decision into, okay, I don't need an eight channel audio interface. I just need a two channel or a one channel. And I'm going to look at the boxes that fit that category. When you Apogee's talk about inputs, Excuse me, Steve, you talk about inputs for that, but but that's another thing I think is important to look at too, isn't it? Is what type of inputs are actually going into this audio device? Yeah, you know, there's different ways to input sound into the, these audio boxes. One is through a microphone. Most pro microphones use a big fat cable called XLR. It's that big round one with three pins inside. Um, then, but most... Other audio equipment use quarter-inch cables, which is like what you plug into an instrument, like a guitar. Uh, long silver tip on the end of that. And most audio hardware has either XLR or quarter-inch outputs. Um, when you get into more consumer-level stuff, then you're, you get down to RCA cables. A lot of DJ stuff has RCA cables, which is the, the, red, the, the normal stereo system, red and white. And then you'll get a yellow one for video. That's your RCA cables. And then... Now for iPods, computers, and sound cards, like creative sound cards, like the Sound Blaster, they use one-eighth inch cables. Right. So and that's to your throw, smallest. To throw one more wrinkle into that, there's two different uh, power levels, really three in, in any system, and that's line level and uh, a mic level. And then you could even go so far as to say phono level if you really want to go old school. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, you got a lot of gear, like what I ran into with my compressor, even though it has XLR inputs, it's expecting a line level signal going in. So that's where your preamps become really important. A mic is, is the lowest level input device uh, pretty much that you'll ever use. Uh, so a lot of gear 
including some uh, digital to audio uh, converters, assume a line level input. So you're going to have to have some sort of preamp before you ever get it to your input in some cases. Right. I mean, if anybody has ever tried to plug a mic into just like a normal line input, you're not going to get any sound because mics need a separate amp called a preamp. And most audio interfaces will have a couple of preamps and they'll also have some line level inputs as well because they know that people want to plug in either mics or, or other type of equipment. So they include that. That's another thing that audio interfaces are known for as far as quality. What's the quality of the preamp for the mic? That's a huge, that, may, that could actually make a huge difference in your sound. You might have the best converters, analog to digital converters in the world. But if your microphone preamp is bad or weak or, or dirty or noisy, the computer is going to convert a noisy signal into a noisy signal. So you want to look for on your audio interfaces, which company has the best preamps as well. Now, for if you're looking for an audio interface that has good preamps, I'd look at a company called Focusrite. Uh, there's a, a little box called the 2i2 from Focusrite. It's 150 bucks. It's a two input box, little red metal, really nice built box, but it has awesome preamps because Focusrite is a professional company known for their preamps. Personally, to me, I don't think their converters are the greatest, but their preamps more than make up for it because your mic sounds different going through that than it would through a fast track or an M box. And I'm, I, I, if you're looking to do podcasting, and you want to have a good mic sound, I would definitely look at a Focusrite audio interface because of the preamps. So yeah, mics need preamps. Line level signals don't need preamps. So that's another thing that your box needs to have. And then uh, you mentioned the number of inputs. Uh, we've talked about it earlier uh, in a different show, but outputs is critical. How many actual outputs do you have? Not just how many jacks are there that sound can come out of, but how many of those are actually different buses how many different outputs of sound are there sometimes they'll say you've got six outputs but it's really three stereo outputs so it's three outputs and you can just have a left and a right out of both of them they like right. to mislead you it's intentional misleading uh, in many cases what? right yeah that happens james did you know that it, it really does i am agog yeah i'm sorry <laughs> to shatter your bubble this is one yeah. of the things i think that's the biggest concern for somebody who's trying to buy one of these too, is how are you going to plug it in? Because if you're going to plug in Firewire, you've got a lot more bandwidth available to you. And those devices tend to give you more channels, both on the input and into your computer and sometimes the, what you're plugging into. And so you do have all of those separate channels to play with. USB has a lot less bandwidth available and you tend to get uh, at, at the tops, you might be able to get four, sometimes six channels input that you can use as separate entities and be able to manage separately. I've seen USB 2.0 go as high as 24. So no, you're, you're, no, there's no way you're going to get 24 on USB 2.0. Uh, I see one of them here and it's probably using compression using 18. Well, that's not true. There's a Steinberg that does do 24 in 24, 24 on USB. I wonder if that's a USB. Nope, that's 2.0. I wonder how yeah, they see do that. that. That's the There's thing. No though, James. way you're going to have the bandwidth for that. Most, well, most of the USB cards you've seen in the, or audio interfaces you've seen in the past were USB 1.1. For some reason, the music industry is just catching up to USB 2.0 because I think they were so stuck on FireWire. There wasn't a lot of development going into USB because that people thought of USB. Oh, it's USB 1.1. Now they're now you're seeing more USB 2.0 boxes, and I think, like Mark said, the Focusrite I think does make one that could do 24. I'm not 100%. 
It does. But, uh, it does eighteen in and six or eighteen uh, eighteen inputs and six outputs to your computer. There's there's only goes as high as six on the USB side. USB also has a lot of problems with USB uh, with CPU contention, and there's a lot of inefficiencies in the protocols that USB uses as well. USB three o changes that not just from the bandwidth perspective, but how it it uses the bus and how it communicates between different devices on that bus. You should see huge differences when the three O devices start shipping. Absolutely. That will be game changing. James, can you throw that link to the Sweetwater chart in the chat room? I want to check it out. While we're, it is while we're, uh it is at sweetwater.com. If you go to the bottom of the page, there's a click here to download our our uh our manuals. They have a great iOS app. So for your for your iPhone, you can put your Sweetwater catalog right on your iPad and your iPhone. Very nice to have. It's a great reference too, and they have great references inside of of that to be able to to see all of the different pieces they have on it. Awesome. Yeah, it's good stuff. And they go through a lot of details. And if a lot of these things that they show on the view here of of they they did a huge matrix of capabilities. So they break out FireWire, they break out USB. They talk about the resolution, the quality of the audio that these devices are able to provide for you. Some of them do basic CD quality, 44.1 kilohertz sampling of data. Some of them go up to 192 kilohertz of sampling every second. So you have huge differences in the amount of uh, capabilities that they have. Almost all of those types of higher end external devices are 24 bit. So you've got a lot more granularity of what you're listening to on each one of those samples. Um, and uh, and the rest of it shows how many inputs, how many outputs, what type of inputs, uh, because some are balanced, some are not balanced. I'm using an unbalanced system today, which I don't like using. So that's one other reason I was looking to upgrade my audio interface so that I can have balanced systems and perhaps avoid situations where hum and other interference might get into that signal. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You've heard me talk about it before in the past. Uh, most of these higher end audio interfaces will have what's called balanced outputs and balanced inputs where you could use different cables, special cables, balanced cables, and that will cut out a lot of your noise. I know that once I switched over and I heard the difference, I just went balanced all the way, and I would yeah. recommend it if somebody's having a problem with noise. That can be significant. Yeah. Now, if you're running only a short cable from like maybe a couple inches to a foot, you might not have as much noise, but I, I even found on shorter cables, I was still getting less noise with balanced than uh, unbalanced, so definitely something to look at just well, quick, obviously it's that's what we're doing on all of our equipment today on the ethernet side ethernet of course is a balanced environment where the transmits uh there's two lines giving exactly the same information at different polarities so when when there's an interference across those it's able to get rid of the interference just by looking at the differences across those two lines and it works the same way with your xlr it works the same way with a balanced trs that's going into your mixer but I've got a stereo jack going into my audio interface. A simple stereo connection is not balanced. So you do run into challenges with that. Yeah, I was just going to give a quick uh, example of that. And you sort of, you, you basically said that what a balanced uh, connection does is it takes the signal, sends it one way, and then flips it 180 degrees and sends it the other way. So that when, two, when there's anything um, out, of band those two signals cancel each other out so the the there's no real electronics necessary no processing needed the the physical nature of the cable cancels out uh, interference hmm. i didn't even know that 
I just knew they worked. (laughs) Three years as a physics major here. I know this sort of stuff. That's good. It's good. Yeah. I mean, we were at a number of inputs and number of outputs, which is another one of the things you want to look at as far as picking out an audio interface. Um, you got to decide what you're going to be doing with this box. Are you going to have like, for example, I'll give you an example. My friend Lalo, he do, who does, he's the host of Podnuts Pro, and he also does a, a show called The Brochachos. He asked me to help of him set up his podcasting does. room. <laughs> so, um, what I basically what he, I basically did is, well, how are you going to do your podcast? So I want he's like, I'm going to have four guys sitting around a table, and we're all going to talk, and we're going to do the show. So in his case, he needed an audio interface that had four actual mic inputs because he's going to have four live guests. Right. So that changes the whole way of thinking, way of shopping, and price point of the audio interface. You got to you got to look for one that has enough inputs. Now we ended up getting for him um, an audio interface that had a built-in mixer, a built-in hardware mixer built in from a company called Behringer. It was a like a Best Buy deal for two hundred fifty bucks, and it turned out to work perfectly for him. So that uh, that's just something to look at when you're picking out an audio interface inputs and outputs. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the mixer, and that's another thing we've talked about before. Uh, it it uh, gives you more capacity for the live environment, like where where we are right now with the three of us coming in over. You know, I'm here, and I got two people coming on Skype. I could do that all. Uh, solid state and be just fine. But when you're in a live environment, I'm a big fan of the mixer for just the ability to tweak things and EQ things on the fly. Right, right. That's I agree with you. I mean, for a live situation, if you need to just twist some knobs real quick, mixers might might want to be what you want to get. Now, a lot of mixer companies are including audio interfaces built into their mixers now. So if you're the kind of person that needs to like twiddle knobs and move faders in real time and you want to have that, you're okay getting that too because look for a mixer that has either USB or Firewire out that basically has an audio interface built in. So that is your option for that. You could also just take a regular mixer and feed it into a, just another feed it into an audio interface too. There's there's lots of options you have here, but if you want to have the hardware mixer, I would look for one these days that have a built-in audio interface. Yeah, that's what we talked about last week. That's the way James does it. He does all his mixing and then feeds it into a uh, a simple stereo interface. And that's fine if you only want a stereo track, but if you want a multi-track, that falls down. Yeah, right. I'm not I'm not one of those people that agrees that interfaces in a mixer is necessarily the best thing because I've had such horrible experiences with both USB and Firewire interfaces that are integrated within the mixer. Um, mine have been exclusively with one company, uh, but I, I'm now of the opinion that mixer companies should do mixers and audio interface companies should do audio interfaces, and we should keep those separate. At least in my mind, that's how I plan on unrolling that out. Other people, Steve, you're a great example of this, have the Firewire input, and everything works like butter. So I think an important consideration is when you're planning to do that, test it, uh, check it on your machine, test it with your drivers, run it through every application you're ever going to need that audio to be used in, and make sure it works for you. Yeah. Yeah, I looked at both options, and I knew because I was going to be doing a four-man podcast, I needed at least four inputs on my my box. I ended up getting a PreSonus Fire Studio project is the name of it. It has eight mic eight mic preamps right on the front of it, and I, I thought that would be plenty for me. One of the reasons I got this box is I didn't want to have a giant mixer in my room, a big heavy device taking up space. Now the 
because I don't actually have this hardware mixer now where I could actually twiddle all the knobs, I have the option now of doing it in software. So I thought that would be more nice and clean for my studio. It's, it was just a matter of preference to me. Almost everything you could do with hardware and turning knobs and moving faders and stuff, you could do with the software that comes packaged with these audio interfaces. The problem you might run into using software is it might introduce a little bit of what's called latency, which is that lag between when you actually hear when a sound is actually occurring and you actually hear it. The time that's that time between that. Um, and it could be very minute, but it could still be very distracting. So if you're willing to uh, deal with a little bit of latency, which is not the best thing to have in a live situation, you could go with an audio interface like I have. But if and, you need, and just to, yeah. to bring it up, I, I don't think I could recommend it but uh, because it's so expensive. But if you get into really high-end mixers, uh, Mackie is, is known for this, they, you'll have like a 10, 12, 20-channel mixer where each channel has its own output. Then you could go out of that into a digital audio converter into your PC. So you get all the benefits of a mixer plus all the benefits of a digital uh, interface, but you got to pay for both of them. So if, exactly. if you're just really nuts and have infinite amounts of money, that's the way to go. Yeah, that's that's actually what professional studios do. That giant mixing board you see like in the movies, on TV, and the, and the commercials and whatever, that mixing board has a separate output for every single channel. And they take every single one of those outputs and they buy loads of converters and they plug it all into these real high quality converters and that goes into the computer. So that is, yeah, Mark, that's how they do it in pro studios. But, um, but you're not so going to find that in a four channel mixer at Best Buy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, probably, I, I guess the last thing you want to look for, or second to last thing you want to look for when you're looking for an audio interface is what software does it come packaged with? Because you might be a fan of one type of software and it might come included with your audio interface. You might not have to buy it. Or you might be a fan of a particular type of software that's not compatible with the audio interface you're buying. Um, there's a lot of recording software. Some of it's better than others. Some of it's more has more features than others. So my kind of rule of thumb on this, especially if you're a beginner, the software that comes with your audio interface is probably plenty sufficient for podcasting. And if you like what comes packaged with it, then I would just say use it. Um, but most audio interfaces come packaged with some type, some type of recording software. And they all suck. You know, let's just face it. doesn't matter what they are. Uh, they all suck and they're all great. And it just depends on, uh, on you. You know, if, if you uh, learned on uh, Pro Tools, you're going to hate everything else, even right. if it's just as good. You know, if right. you learned on uh, PreSonus, what is it, Studio One, that's their yeah. tool, yeah. you're going to hate uh, uh, Pro Tools. But the, the thing is, find what you're comfortable with and just go with it. That's my I think that's one of the things that's good I like. Up. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say I hate Pro Tools. Go ahead, James. Good for you. <laughs> Yay. Um, the, one of the things that I avoided was having to worry about any software because when you get these really inexpensive plug it in USB connections, it looks just like a normal sound card would be to the operating system. You have a left channel, you have a right channel, you're done. And the operating system, whether it's Mac OS 10, whether it's Windows of any kind, those know how to handle those just fine. And so every application you're going to load up sees it as a normal sound card in your operating system, and it works 
just seamlessly. It's when you get into these more uh, advanced functionalities, like having multiple inputs, like having the firewire and having separate channels that you'd like to be able to hear and control. Obviously, your operating system isn't going to know that. You're going to need that software to take advantage of those capabilities. And if you're out there listening to this and you think, well, I'll just buy a bunch of the cheap ones and stack them up, that doesn't work because that shows up as four or five or six or however many we've got different sound cards mm-hmm. and almost none. I, I'm sure there's something out there that would that would prove me wrong if I said none, but almost no software out there, no digital audio workstations can handle that many sound cards. You tell you point it at a sound card and it sees how many inputs that sound card has. Uh, right. You know, Pro Tools or, or or Studio One or Audacity. I use. Uh, you have to pick a sound card. You can't say I want to record uh, all six of these sound cards. You pick one. Now on my Skype machine that these guys are coming into, I have multiple sound cards. Skype is fine with that, but again, each Skype instance is only looking at one sound card. There are very few things out there, if any, that can handle multiple sound cards. So that's why it really becomes important that, yeah, you're plugging in this advanced sound card with 24 inputs. You can't do the same thing with 24 cheap sound cards. It's just not going to work. Yeah, and if you're plugging that in via USB, each one of those is reserving some of the bandwidth on the USB bus. You're eventually just going to run out of room on the USB bus itself. Exactly. Good point. Good point. Yeah, and now as far as USB versus FireWire versus USB 2.0, whatever the audio interface comes with, the company knows that it, that box can handle that type of, of uh, input. In other words... And a company's not going to make a USB audio interface with a hundred inputs because it know it can't handle it. So you don't really have to, if, unless you have a problem with FireWire, you don't really have to worry if it's USB 2.0, 1.1, or FireWire. Whatever the box has, the box can handle. So just go with other specs of the box. I would say I wouldn't make USB or FireWire a priority spec. I would make the quality of the converters, the quality of the preamps, and other factors more of a priority than that. And what, what may happen, like uh, James mentioned earlier, is to get 24 channels into USB 2.0 bandwidth, they're compressing or they're using, quote unquote, lower quality uh, recording. Um, and he, he sort of said CD quality is low quality, 44.1. Uh, uh, you know, that's that's pretty darn good. But it is in this industry, it is considered sort of mediocre quality. So, yeah, it might, quote unquote, have a low quality uh, input that's only CD quality. Sorry, right. yeah, that should be your starting point. That should that is the lowest level dregs of audio is CD quality. Right, it's true. Which you're going to crank out to an MP3, which with a fraction of that quality anyway. When you're done, isn't it funny? Is that how it works like that? <laughs> it's true. People's ears hear the strangest things. So yeah, just uh, just use whatever software you're comfortable with, and if you like the software that's bundled with your your audio interface, use it. Uh, I use a program called Studio One, and I'm really, really happy with it. I use it for my music production as well. I like it because it was built only two years ago. So a lot of the bloat that um, has formed in these older, more, quote, established programs, it doesn't exist in Studio One. And so it's faster, and it's quick, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty slim, and it's good. Um, if you don't want to get that advanced... Audacity is a great free program that will work with any one of your audio interfaces and it records these all these programs record in the same quality not one program is going to really record in a better quality than the other it gets recorded as a wave file that's what they that's how these programs record so don't worry about is it going to sound as good on on audacity as it will on another program 
it, it's not the sound, it's how many features you get in that program that are, that are going to make the price difference there. And I like Audacity. I mean, I mean, even in my videos, I've showed demos of using Audacity to uh, do podcasting. It's perfectly capable. One, one little caveat to Audacity is uh, a lot of the newer stuff use ASIO drivers uh, that Audacity doesn't recognize. ASIO is not a free uh, standard, and so it's not built into Audacity because Audacity, being an open source product, only uses open source drivers. So ah. if your equipment uh, can handle raw drivers or uh, PCM, or there's another name for it, there are there three names for the same thing, you're fine. But if it's specifically an ASIO driver, uh, Audacity will not work with it. Interesting. And yeah, that's probably not going to be on the box. You probably know where you're going to be able to look to see what the driver is. Most audio interfaces you buy will be ASIO or ASIO or ASIO. And if it if the box does come with those drivers, use them. They are far superior and they, they will work great with your box. If you use your if you actually get an audio interface, you hook it up to your program and you're not using the ASIO drivers that it came with, you're gonna get lag, you're gonna get uh, clipping, and it's gonna there's gonna be all kinds of noise because the program just needs the ASIO drivers. So if you're using like a program like Studio One and you bought an audio interface, use the drivers that came with the box. Yeah, in my case, I'm using uh, <clears throat> my Alesis mixer has the ASIO drivers from Alesis, but uh, it can also use the Windows Direct Sound, right. uh, and so that that worked fine. It's doing the same job. But if I were to step up to Windows Seven, which and I'm using XP on this one, which doesn't rec uh, doesn't use the Direct Sound driver anymore, I wouldn't be able to use this device with Audacity. So uh, uh, there are ways you can compile it. If you or you know a geek buddy who can do that, you can compile the ASIO drivers into Audacity, but they can't ship it that way. So just a, a little thing about Audacity there. Interesting. Use Reaper. It's cheap and really high quality in that case. Reaper is a pro-level program. And yeah, it's, it's an actually amazing program, highly customizable. It's free to try, and you technically could use it free for the rest of your life, but the paid version is only 40 bucks. So if you like it, just put out the 40 bucks and, and use that. But that's at reaper.fm if you want to check out that website. All right, what else we got here, Mark? Uh, well, the next thing I wanted to, to, to mention is, is you need to look at uh, what uh, we, we talked a little bit about buses, but also how you can plug in other things, all right? So assuming you're going to use any real-time effects and you're not going to do everything post, like your compressor, you're going to have to find some way to, to get that into your, your signal chain. So right. you, you're going to need a punch in or you're going to need uh, an aux send or, or some way to route things through there. And, and the, the low-end stuff, like uh, I saw some um, talk in the chat room about the M-Audio Fast Track. I'm a big fan of the M-Audio Fast Track, but it's one thing in, one thing out. And there's, you're not going to be able to run, uh, say, a compressor in line with that without using something else. Right. There's a lot of gear that people like to use to adjust the tone of their recordings. Um, pieces of hardware that have to get into your signal chain somewhere. And like Mark said, some of these uh, audio interface, most lower level audio interfaces won't allow you to do that. Uh, they just don't have the capability. Whereas a mixer might actually have that. Where in a mixer, it's called an insert. Um, but yeah, there's compressors, equalizers, um, uh, even if you want to just use your own mic preamp and you want to have that in your signal chain, you're going to have to have a audio interface that can handle inserts or what is it called? Punch in. Right. Yeah. 
So that is if you if you know you're going to be getting a separate compressor you have to look for that feature if you if you have no idea what a compressor is then you're probably fine and you won't need one and you don't need to look for that in your audio interface so well i think all of us would agree though you want to know what a compressor is yeah yeah but i, I didn't know what a compressor was to about a year and a half two years into podcasting and you if you're very 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 careful you can get away with not worrying so much about compression or any type of of working of the signal, I would agree. But it certainly um, takes a load off when, when you're when you're having to do a whole lot with audio and try to juggle a lot of things at one time. Yeah, and when you graduate into using a compressor, you won't ever want to go back to not using one. But you know, we mentioned Reaper. Reaper has some really good built-in uh, things, and so you can do real-time compression in the software, not using hardware. So there, there's you know, I don't know why anybody would want to, but allegedly there's many ways to skin a cat. Uh, so uh, it's the same thing with audio. There's there's a lot of different paths to the same end. Uh, but w what I would say is, when you're buying your first box, don't limit yourself by buying something that can't do something you might need to do later. Now, Steve is is sort of a, a compulsive buyer. He buys things and resells them, and and buys something else and resells it and buys something else. Uh, that's not the way I work. I want to I want to spend a whole bunch of money on something I'm going to live with until it disintegrates uh, at the end of the era. So mm -hmm. I would look for all. I want to check all the boxes, look at all the features. I want to make sure it has inserts. I want to make sure it has aux sends. I want to make sure it has different buses, and, and that's the way I would uh, presume to do it. Do your research, find out exactly what you want, save up. For for it and then bow your wad on one really good piece of equipment yeah yeah it's it's that's really smart if you know what you're going to need get what you need right off the bat and I, I recommend that definitely and how do you know what you need you listen to this show every week <laughs> exactly now i could go right into my recommendations you think we should do that now because i have some boxes because i've tested tons of them and there's some that i really like a lot do you want to know what they are? Hit it. Okay. If you're going to be doing a, just a one-man show and you just need a box to plug your mic into, you bought a nice mic and you want to plug your box into a mic, get the Focusrite 2i2. It's got Focusrite quality preamps and they sound really darn good. Um, now, the and it, but it only has two inputs. So if you're going to be having a bunch of people in your studio, look for don't you don't for this don't go for this box. This is the box where it's just you into a mic in your computer, and then you have one other input for whatever else you want to put into. But the quality of the analog to digital conversion and the preamp in the Focusrite two i two is great. So and that's 150 bucks. It comes with recording software called Ableton Live, which will do the job. It's not specifically tailored for podcasting a lot of electronic musicians use it for making music but it's a recorder and it does the job and it that box is compatible with audacity and reaper and all the other stuff too that's my recommendation because of the preamp mics will sound different through this box than they will through another box and they sound the focus right gives it a nice warmth so i really do like that you guys have anything on that before i go to the next recommendation I like that the focus right. I've I've only seen this in in catalogs and flipping through. But one of the things I like about it is it not only has multiple types of input. You can plug in and has those those dual type connectors on the front, so you can plug in an XLR connector or you can plug in the TRS connector, uh, all in that one little interface. And it has a nice monitor 
uh, interface on it as well. So you can plug your headphones directly in there. You don't have to worry about that delay piece as it gets converted to digital, sent into your computer, and then saved into your system. So you aren't uh, off a little bit listening to it. You can listen to it in the live audio. Yeah, that's a good point, James. Uh, uh, most audio interfaces have what's called direct monitoring, which is basically a headphone jack where you could listen to what's going on, what's going through your box in real time. So there's no lag, no latency. Most of them have that. Um, I don't actually don't know any that don't have it at this point. Even even the, the cheapest uh, audio interfaces have direct monitoring. So, Steve, what do you do for monitoring? Do you plug <laughs> into your PreSonus Fire, Fire Studio? Yeah, these these uh, earphones are plugged directly into the Fire Studio. Okay, yeah, into the headphone out. Now, if you if you have multiple guests and you need more inputs than two, um, I I have to recommend the box I have because I'm really really happy with it. I haven't had the opportunity of testing too many boxes that have of this price level <laughs> uh, that have eight in or more inputs. But I use like I said, I use the PreSonus Fire Studio project and. Um, it's it's a fantastic box and it comes with the Studio One software, which I like a lot. It has two inserts, like we talked about earlier. If you wanted to use a compressor, it has two inserts so you can plug a compressor right in your signal chain in real time with zero latency. Um, and it's just, it's reliable. That's That's the main reason I like it. The preamps in it are adequate. They sound fine to me. The focus right sounds better, but it's it's such a smidgen of a difference it's not even worth it's not even worth thinking about unless you really want to get the absolute best sound. So, uh, I like the the Fire Studio. All right, cool. Um, the last thing that I would like to recommend, or no, second to last, is if you're going to be doing a live in studio four guest show like my friend Lalo, where you're going to have to have a, a hardware mixer with four mics plugged in or five mics plugged in. Um, I don't have a particular brand, but look at getting one of those mixers with an audio interface built in. Mackie makes good stuff. Behringer makes cheaper stuff. Lalo has the Behringer. Sounds great. The thing came, even came with a condenser mic. I don't know the exact model of that one. I think it's a Z, Z-E-N-Y-X. It's an eight channel USB mixer. It comes with two speakers and a condenser mic for 250 bucks at Best Buy with all the cables. Now, I don't know um, exactly, but I'm guessing that his USB interface is stereo only, that he's not getting multi-channel out of that. Good point. Right. Even though he has eight inputs in that box, the computer only recognizes it as a stereo signal into the computer. So he can't record eight separate tracks. So yeah, that for that price, that's what you're going to get. Uh, I know Mike Smith at the Mike Tech Show, he uses an Onyx uh, Mackie. Uh, it's a Mackie Onyx, I think it's a 12-channel Firewire mixer that does record separate channels for each uh, channel on your mixer. So if he has 12 channels, his computer recognizes 12 channels, so he can record all of his guests on a separate channel if he did have guests. He plugs other things into it. But uh, that's a great box, but that then you're up in like the eight, eight, $900 range. Um, but if you're I would recommend if you're going to have a bunch of guys live in studio and you need the ability to twiddle knobs on the fly in real time quickly, or you're going to have somebody doing that whose purpose of job is to do that, um, look at getting a mixer with a built-in interface. That's what I would do. And lastly, say you need a audio interface where you're not going to be plugging anything into it. You just need to have really high digital to analog quality. 
you want to have, be able to listen to music or you're creating all of your music or podcasts inside the computer. You already have all the files. You're, you're not going to be actually recording any files yourself. You're going to be just listening to files that are already present or you're using a MIDI instrument or something, something where you don't actually need to input anything into the box. And this is the kind of music that I, or the kind of thing I'm using it for, for my music. I just need to listen to everything. I do all my music inside the computer. Any instruments that I use for my audio interface are software instruments. So the thing I'm most concerned about in this case is digital to analog conversion. I want to hear it good out of my speakers. The box that I recommend for good digital to analog conversion is the Avid M-Box. The M-Box Mini or just the regular M-Box. If you get it without Pro Tools bundled with it, they start at like 250 bucks. And it's the same hardware, same technology that professional studios were using only a few years ago with their Pro Tools HD. It's, it's got Pro Tools HD technology. And um, they incorporated that into the new M-Boxes. It's the third generation M-Boxes. They look like little tanks. They're silver. They have a black front. And they have a ring of metal around them that I could literally run over this thing with my car and it wouldn't break. Um, I've, I've tested this up against all my other audio interfaces and this has the best quality output. It has a, it has a, a sparkle to the sound that just makes you want to listen to music through the thing. So if you're looking for good digital to analog conversion, I, I have to recommend the M-Box, the new M-Boxes. And that's what I do all of my music production on. I have an M-Box Mini and an M-Box in two little studios I have set up and um, it sounds fantastic through the speakers. So, so this this just this is coming out of your PC af as you're auditing the. Uh, I'm trying to to wrap my head around this. You've edited the sound. You're not recording it. This is post production work, right? And and you want to monitor the sound in as clean a fashion as possible. Right. So you're not trusting the speaker jack from your laptop. Your, or the headphone out of your PreSonus that you use for for monitoring. You want something better than that, so that's what you use the MBox for. Yes, the MBox is the best best I've heard as far as digital analog to conversion that I've listened to out of the ten I've tried. It sounds really good. Okay, great. Now that it has got a lot of stuff in it. That box does MIDI. It's got Spdiff in and out. It's got separate monitors. It's got uh, the XLR combo TRS mic inputs. That's a nice little box. Yeah, and, and the preamps in it aren't bad. They actually aren't bad. The focus rate sounds better, um, but the preamps in it are very usable. And what are you going to pay if, for that? The M-Box itself is like four something. The M-Box Mini, which is just as good, doesn't have as much bells and whistles, it starts at 250 maybe Maybe 239 That's if you don't get Pro Tools bundled with it. If you get Pro Tools bundled with it, it jacks the price up like astronomically. So, uh, yeah, if you if you want a, a good a box that has good conversions, so you could your music and your sound sounds good through the thing coming out of the speakers. That's a great box. I, I'm I'm curious as to the need for that. I, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around it. What you, you're what you're listening to sounds better than anybody who listens to your music is going to hear. Right. So what's, uh, uh, what, what's the added benefit of that? When you're creating music, you want to hear the truest possible sound out of your speakers as you're creating it. So when you create it, it's, it sounds good and it sounds true. You're hearing what's actually being played. 
Um, then you, you know, make an MP3 out of it and then everybody listens to it on whatever sound system they want. But for me to do when I'm doing the actual creation, the music creation, it needs to sound good and it needs to be true. I need, I need to hear what's actually being produced by the computer. It can't be colored. It can't be wrong. It can't be too high in the treble, too high in the bass. It needs to be perfect. So I, I looked for a box that sounded the best through my monitors, uh, and the truest. So that box fit the bill. All right. Uh, and so the next thing we have on the list is, is uh, you, you need to make sure that the stuff you're plugging in can work with what you've got. We talked a little bit about mic lines and XLR, but uh, you might need something like phantom power if you're running a condenser mic, and you need to make sure that your, your input can do all that. What are some things that you need to, to watch out for uh, when you're looking at inputs? Well, it's like you said. If you're using a condenser mic, you need to have what's called phantom power on your box, which is 48 volts that uh, will power your mic. Otherwise, your condenser mic won't make a sound. So most boxes have this. I don't know of any. Even even the, the lowest fast track one has it. Um, so yeah, that's something to look out for. I don't know, James. What do you? What else do you think? I don't know. I don't run into situations too much where. The boxes today's are lacking in any way. It seems like they all are bundling in all of those little bells and whistles you need. It's really a matter of what interface do you want to plug into it? And how many different channels do you want? And then how much do you want to pay for that? Um, generally, the better audio to digital converters cost a lot more. Um, and, and I've just, I've not done any of that. I, of course, have gone in completely the other direction and not paid much at all for mine. And you've just kind of stuck with it until i just run it into the ground yeah you spend all your money on cameras and video stuff and yeah i actually yeah that's in lights and uh and hosting like we said before you can't go wrong with an sm58 mic if you want to stay on the cheap um plug that into any audio interface you guys buy that has an xlr input it'll sound just fine yep I, I actually know somebody that on my recommendation, he bought a, a SM50, SM58 mic from Shure and the Focusrite 2i2, and he sent me a uh, recording. It's like, how do, how do I sound? It sounded great. Yeah. Um, there's, hey, there's actually one more recommendation. Door to Door Geek uses this, and Ellis Owens uses this from Droid Nation. Uh, it's a little audio interface called the Lexicon Alpha. It's a solid little box. It's like 59 bucks. Um, has balanced in, balanced outputs. It has an XLR mic uh, input for a mic in the front, and that's what Door uses, and that's what Ellers is using, and they sound fantastic too. So can't go wrong for that price. Highly recommended. Direct monitoring. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know what software it comes with, but uh, it's been around for a while too. It's it's got a proven track record. Nice. Yeah, cheap is good, and if you can get good for cheap, so much the better. Yeah. That's it for my recommendations. All right. Well, that was uh, that was a whirlwind tour, and I, I learned a lot there. Uh, as I said, I've I've not been on the the digital input side of things, but before we were recording, Steve said you will be someday. You will be. You will come over to the dark side. You will leave mixers, and you will be all digital at some <laughs> point. I don't know, Mark. If you're sitting in that room, right? You don't have all guests around and different mics plugged into that thing. I don't know. You have Skype guests. I could see you. I could see using a mixer. I could see using a mixer. I, I've got really comfortable using my Presonus box, which just has one knob on the front, and that's volume for each guest. 
that works out well. Uh, a PC Freddy in the chat room brings up a good point. He says he has a Behringer RCA to USB. Stay away from RCA. Anything with an RCA input or output on it, just stay away from. That is super low-end, uh, consumer-grade, made for plugging a CD player into a, uh, a sound bar. Just don't. Uh, that's that's a giveaway. If, if it has RCA on it, you don't want it. I'm using one of those right now. <laughs> I am. I literally am. I literally do have one of those really crappy Behringer RCA to USB interfaces on a separate machine. You aren't listening to it right now. It's on a separate machine because I needed something to plug in that was quick and dirty that would get me into my mixer. Um, and that's what I use is this little $29 piece of junk. But uh, one of these days I'll, I'll update it. Um, but I needed it's something. It's great for getting Skype guests from a computer yeah, into a mixer. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Now, almost all, having said that, almost all mixers will have an RCA, like a tape in and out, just to be compatible with old stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, you can, you can, even those super high quality studio things will have a little tape in and out with, uh, with, uh, uh, RCA inputs. And that's what right. I do my backup recordings with. So I'm not yep. saying that just because it has that, it's crap, but that shouldn't be your primary interface ever. Right. Right. It's certainly not a balanced connection. If you get interference, there'll be hum, there'll be scratching, there'll be a lot of noise on it. And if, it's uh, very low an bandwidth. It it doesn't handle uh, you know, the the 44.1k uh, CD quality even. It's it's a low bandwidth connection invented mm -hmm. in a time when, you know, it was the phono, the record player. That's what it's for. It's a it's a low bandwidth connection. What's a record yeah. player? Uh, it's sort of like a CD only they're breakable. Oh. You guys actually brought up something good. It's another feature on audio interfaces that's going to be written all over the box and touted as an advertising point. And that is these numbers, 44, 1, 48. Um, is, that, is it kilohertz per yeah. what, is, what is 44, 1, kilohertz per second? It's, it's kilohertz, yeah. It's, it's, it's cycles per second. Cycles per second. Now, the, the higher end boxes are going to say we do 192 kilohertz or 96 kilohertz. You know. That is great if your box is able of do, capable of doing that. I record at 44.1, a professional studio that spared no expense and is a multi-million dollar studio. I asked them what they use. They use 44.1. So uh, even though these audio interfaces are used up to 192, it, it's going to take up more hard drive space if you record using that. It's, it might sound a smidgen better, unnoticeable probably for a podcast. When you when you mix it down, so I wouldn't even look at those numbers too much. Any audio interface you could get, at like a Guitar Center, will be perfectly fine. If you're All recording right. a symphony with high fidelity recording devices, you would probably want to grab a lot more data in a single second. But you're right for audio podcasts, uh, forty four thousand one hundred samples every second is probably just fine. All right, yeah. so just let me get a little physics on you because that's what I like to do. Um, if a 20 kilohertz signal, uh, 20,000 cycles per second is right at the top end of human hearing. So that, that would be the top end of like a guitar harmonic, harmonic, a way far, way higher than a human voice could go. Okay. Um, so if you're looking at 20 kilohertz and you're sampling at 44.1, you can take two samples of that ultra high frequency per second. Okay. Almost everything else is going to fall well below that. Human uh, vocal range generally falls around a thousand, between a hundred and a thousand around there. So uh, your singer who's singing at four or five octaves is singing between a hundred and a thousand. Okay. So if you're at a thousand, you can take 44 samples of that per second. 
So it only really comes into play as you get into the ultra high frequencies, and then you still have two samples per second at that range. So if you go up to 96K, now you've got uh, uh, 45 samples of that per second. So that's that's the time you would want to do that. When you really want full quality, super uh, ultra high harmonic stuff, but for the spoken word, which is what we talk about, 44K is overkill. Yeah. That's funny. That 44K is overkill. Yeah, it's it, so yeah, don't make that the the decision point of w- what audio interface you buy because of wh- how Mark just explained it. Right. Did I explain it or did you just babble? I never know the difference. No, it made sense. I didn't know that. I, I like when you say stuff like that cuz I learned something. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> okay, I think that's that's about unless you guys have uh, thought of something else, that's uh that's exhaustive. I can I can just see people uh listening to 30 seconds of this and rewinding 15 seconds of it and listening 30 seconds more and it's going to take them 3 hours to get through this uh I were podcast because this is this was some deep stuff. And if you haven't been doing it for 15 or 20 years like uh like a couple of us have then then you're you're definitely going to be um uh having to pay a, a lot of really close attention but thanks steve that was that was good expertise and it was great for uh for me to hear uh, the stuff that i didn't know about uh, uh, audio converters no problem i wish i could have explained it better i feel like kind of rambled through it wish it was a little more structured but um i hope i got the gist of it out let's not start doing that now <laughs> <laughs> what you mean having high standards having a structured podcast nonsense <laughs> i thought it was fine the way we the way you explained it that's no, really good okay so uh let's move on to the uh lesson you learned this week and i'll, I'll start this time i don't think i've started I've, I've i've uh handed it off each time uh this week what i uh was reminded of i already knew this uh but it, music licensing is a pain in a big, big way. Uh, we are rebranding one of our shows and in the process wanted to add some some new music to it. And I found a perfect song that was recorded in 1975 by The Kinks. Yes, The Kinks. Lola. You know, that, that's probably the one song you know uh, uh, of theirs. Um, and so I had to track down, you know, how to get permission to use this song. And so I went with uh, Ray Davies, the the original writer. I contacted him at his uh, website, but as as is often the case, he no longer owns the rights to that. He probably sold them in 1969, even though it was recorded in 1975. So even if he gave me permission, it wouldn't matter. He doesn't own it. So then I had to go. He sold it to somebody else, who sold it to somebody else. This was forty years in forty years in the making. So it's been sold a number of times. So I went to uh, ASCAP, the uh, um, one of the American associations for artists, uh, <clears throat> and uh, they have a database. And I was a fi- I was able to find out um, his publisher, uh, which in this case is Sony uh, ATV Records. So I, I contacted Sony, and they said, well, to do a podcast, you have to do what's called a synchronous license. You have to have permission from both the owner of the content and the publisher. We're only the publisher <laughs> of the content. So um, now you have to go and get uh, permission from uh, the owner as well, which is uh, actually Michael Jackson's uh, group that, that he uh, bought all the Beatles stuff on. So once I finally got those two people together uh, and agreed on something, they said, okay, we'll accept... Uh, we'll agree to let you do this for $500 per year. And I said, okay, thank you, you so go. much. I'll be going with a Jonathan Colton song instead. <laughs> How much does that cost again? The Jonathan Colton music? <laughs> that would be a dollar. I downloaded okay. the track for a dollar and it's under the creative commons license. 
That's awesome. This is why stock music is such a great little industry. Yes. Yeah. It actually is. I've I've looked for stock music on several occasions and I wish there was more places to find it. So Yeah, if if you're into that, start a website for stock music. But if you're interested, go ch- check out the song Education by the Kinks. Great song. Seven and a half minutes. And I was going to use 48 seconds of it. And they wanted to charge me 500 bucks a year for that process. For, for the rest of your life? Yeah, for as long as I use that, uh, that song. Yeah. Wow. It's okay. The music industry knows exactly what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about them. And then I thought, you know, I've already gone to all this trouble to be legal, right? I can't just go ahead and use it now and try to fly under the radar because I alerted them all that I was going to be using it. And I gave them the website and, the, and everything and, and my home address and all that. So now I can't use that. I have to totally stay away from that from now on. <laughs> That's good in the end. You're using a better song. So, uh, Steve, what was the lesson you learned this week? Uh, more of a tip, but um, just something when you're doing when you're pot when you're podcasting, you're going to get feedback from your listeners, and when you get feedback from a person, don't freak out and immediately change everything you do because one person suggests it. Realize that that is just one person, and you have many people that are listening to your show. And there's only going to be a few people that are going to be the most vocal in your community, the ones that you're actually in communication with. There's going to be there's going to be the majority of them that listen to your show, but you never hear from. So when somebody, one person says one thing, don't freak out and change everything you do because of that. Take the input into consideration. If 20 other people tell you the same thing, then give it some credence. But uh, realize that it was just a suggestion and it doesn't have to be the uh, the right thing to do you know just just take it for what it is and acknowledge it and if it's right you know act on it but don't necessarily take up everything that everybody says and change everything cuz i've i've seen it happen and it just it makes people crazy and sometimes it's best to not even respond to it particularly if it's if 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 it's especially negative yeah yeah i always say say thanks for the input that's right. kind of my my pat answer don't feed the trolls. <laughs> what about you, James? Did you learn anything this week or did you just sleep on planes all week? My my uh, advice is the opposite of Steve's. Don't listen to anybody. Ignore <laughs> everyone. That's they the Steve Jobs know, mentality. You have no idea what they're talking about. Just just completely. <laughs> you know, that is kind of a problem, though. We are each one of us has uh, things that we do outside of this podcast. And I'm sure we get input, quote unquote, input from people all the time. Sometimes some of those things can hit you pretty hard uh, and pretty deep. You kind of have to, after a while, you learn to have much thicker skin than you even realize that you would be able to. Fortunately, those are indeed very few and far between. I would say most of what we all probably get feedback-wise is, is generally pretty good. So we are we are fortunate and thankful for that. Um, mine is... Uh, I am in this situation right now where I'm running out of disk space. If many of you know, about a year ago, there was the floods in Thailand where a lot of the hard drives are manufactured and the 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 manufacturing and the costs of hard drives went up uh, substantially. And I'm just now back at the point where I'm starting to buy some of the two terabyte drives and get them in here. But it reminds me that um, that you talked about me traveling. I travel a lot now and I'm using more data and I'm putting in them different places and I'm having to create different scenarios when I travel than when I'm at home. 
and I'm finding I'm using Dropbox a little more here and not Dropbox in the office. And I've got a separate hard drive I carry around with me now when I travel, which is not what I use when I'm in the office. Um, and so I'm having to think about it differently. And, and I bring this up because next week I won't be in my studio. Next week I will be in a hotel room to do this podcast and I will have all of my travel stuff with me. So my tip of the week is going to be test before you leave home. And we're going to find out next week how well that went. <laughs> and did you follow your own advice? Indeed. <laughs> Good luck. All right, so if you want to uh, to give some comments, some feedback, so that uh, we can totally change the way we do everything, if you want to uh, come on every week as soon as I initiate a Skype call and, and criticize my music, uh, you're welcome to do that. <laughs> that was Steve there. He doesn't like the music for the show. I, I, I like the music before the show. Yeah. The, like the intro music. Yeah, the intro. I don't, I don't like, the music like that we actually use on the show. Right, so right. That's okay. Um, I'll, I'll go look at Jonathan Colton music for that too. <laughs> anyway. See, when I criticize though, I offer a solution. It's different. <laughs> right. Your solution I, I could... was find different music. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, the, the, my partner in element OP productions, Sean. Uh, he's one of those guys who um, always has an advice, but almost uh, always has input, but it's almost never advice. So uh, we'll be talking about something. He'll come up to me and says, no, nah, that just sucks. I don't like that. And then he'll walk away. <laughs> But what's better? What can I do to improve it? Well, just make it better. Well, what would make it better? Less like it is right now. Less sucking. Yes. Uh, that's just gay. That's one of his favorite words. I don't know why. That's gay. Just make it less gay. Okay, so, so the only feedback I get is it sucks less gay. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, why did I go into business with you again? <laughs> so anyway, if you want to uh, make comments and tell me that things suck, the way you can do that is elementsop.com. And in the forums there, the uh, Art of Podcasting forums, uh, we encourage you to make your feedback there. Many of you are doing that. You're making show requests. You're asking questions. And we love seeing that. Uh, Steve said uh, uh, that he's uh, been getting good pod, uh, wait, good what's the word feedback on the show and we appreciate that we appreciate that you let us know what you like and and even what you don't like so that we can change that and the way to do that the way i would encourage you to to uh put all those in one place is at elementopi.com in the forums uh, so that we can all see it and we can all respond to it because uh, you know we all have our own separate networks here and i know you guys will talk to james and you'll talk to steve uh but uh, it doesn't necessarily filter back to all of us so uh, i would like to direct you all to that one place elementop.com so that's my plug uh james where can people find you and more about you whether they want to find me or not is one question if they wanted to it would be at professormesser.com and if you'd like to see some of the things i do with podcasting you can find that at whataweekpodcast.com all right and uh, mr steve what about yourself if you like podcasting, you want to get into podcasting, it's the reason you're watching this show or listening to the show, perhaps, um, you can add to your knowledge by going to howtopodcast.biz. I did a whole video collection there. It's over 10 hours of podcasting knowledge that I think you will enjoy. So check it out and um, it'll help you. Steve, is there any uh, uh, plans to update that in the future? Maybe a, a, a part two or a, 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 a what I know now as compared to what I know then uh, thing? Thank you for the input. Okay. <laughs> 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 no, I, um, I actually <laughs> probably will. 
Uh, it's still pretty recent, but I do I do plan on it if, if uh, it needs to get uh, you know some some new data in there. Definitely. So yeah, it should be. I'm just trying to f- give you a way to to build the people that already paid to pay you again. So. Oh, oh, brilliant. Um, I'm working on it. <laughs> That's my second pat answer. Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working on it, make, making it less like it is, making it suck less. So. That's what I tell Sean. All right. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, This has been a fun show, hopefully an informative show. I know I learned a lot, and I hope you did too. So uh, I guess that's it for this episode of The Art of Podcasting.